Good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. We're going to go ahead and crank up for Grow. Um, I love this big pulpit right here. It's great. I can spread out all my gear. Um, Before I jump into today's focus, interpreting the book of Revelation, uh, just a couple of just housekeeping things. Obviously, we have a baptism in today's service. We have two of them uh, at the beginning of today's service, so help spread the word or somebody who feels uh, willingness to do it, put on church center, no one will go to nursery until after the baptism. I think there's a check-in process prior to the service for those to whom that applies for the nursery, and then you'll just take your kids right after the baptism. Uh, So just help us spread the word to make the process as smooth as possible. We don't want anybody to miss these baptisms. So that's one logistic. Second logistic is uh, I'm sure we can get a hearty amen from anybody who was here last Sunday. Uh, That AC feeling okay. That's good. Uh, And thanks to all of our techie people for figuring out it worked during grow last week, but we uh, hit a snag during the service. But appreciate those guys who came up this week and worked on all these gizmos and gadgets. Um, We are going to just walk in lightning speed through interpretive principles for the book of Revelation. And that will be our focus for today. But I want to begin by reading a verse that I want to smuggle into my prayer. But I want it in your mind and heart before I pray it so you know where it comes from. Revelation 1.3 says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. The book opens by straight up saying, if you want to be blessed, read and listen to the book of Revelation and obey what it says. And so I'm going to make that our prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for the capstone of your word, that from eternity you had planned to reveal what is written in these pages so that your people would have hope, especially in perilous times. And we live in such times. So have your people since the first century when this word was originally received. And we thank you for the countless ways through the ages that you have sustained your people in faithfulness through the pages of Revelation. And we pray that this church would be among that cloud of witnesses that know you're preserving faithfulness. Help us to engage with the book of Revelation uh, instead of being intimidated by it, to be aggressively eager to digest it help us lord it is challenging to us we admit the uh, quandary we feel when we read it and we pray that you would help us today in some small measure to make a little bit of advance in how we can approach this book with some tools that may help us to know your mind and your heart above all we thank you for revelation 1 5 i believe the key verse that Jesus has released us from our sins by his blood. Thank you for him. We pray this in his name. Amen. Okay, so um, this will be lightning round. We want to conclude by 945 so I can meet with these sweet people who are going to be going into the baptistry today. Um, So we're following this book by Duvall and Hayes. 
uh, BJ last week walked us through, I, I thought, really a masterful intro and overview of interpreting Old Testament narrative. And today we're jumping to the end of the Bible because we missed it on August 6th. We were going to do Revelation, finish the New Testament then, but we, uh, that was our last Sunday at, at Redeemer and we did other things. Uh, so today is Revelation, and for those who do not have a copy, uh, I want you to pick up one of these before you leave. I have three copies. This is our Teleos Academy study, uh, written by a fellow TCT pastor in San Diego, outside of San Diego, California, West Van Fleet. It's a 12-week study on the book of Revelation. It's got commentary after each of the weeks from reputable scholars. If you don't have one of these, I have three copies. They're going to be right here. I encourage you to take one, and especially if you might walk through it with a coworker or family member or friend or something like that. So please take those. That'll be better than anything I say today. <clears throat> For some introductory comments, uh, let's see. There we go. Do you remember the first time you read or tried to read the book of Revelation? What kind of experience was it? Was it confusing or intimidating, exhilarating, mind-boggling? You probably made sense of chapter 1, even with that unusual vision in chapter 1, verse 13, of someone, quote, like a son of man. You may have even, even felt comfortable with the messages to the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3. But how did you react to those four odd-looking living creatures in chapter 4? Or the lamb with the seven horns and eyes in chapter 5? What did you think about the moon turning red or the 144,000 or the talking eagle or Babylon or the mother of the prostitutes? If you're like most people, when you finish the last page, you put down your Bible and concluded that Revelation is a bizarre book, challenging to understand. Well, some introductory comments. This comes from page 309 of that book I mentioned. Uh, they say that the last book of the Bible describes itself in the first verse as a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's New Revised Standard. An expression that functions as a title for the entire book. The term revelation, this is the Greek word, apocalypsis, suggests that something once hidden is now being unveiled or displayed openly. That is from the time of the human writer, John, onward. They go on to say, in this final chapter, meaning the book of Revelation, of the story of salvation, God pulls back the curtain to give his people a glimpse of his plans for human history, plans that center around Jesus Christ. Now, instead of just hearing blah, 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 if you'll take that slide, put it into your mind, God just shape your heart by that that parameter of Revelation, I think it'll help us to read it. It's a glimpse of God's plans for human history, plans that center around Jesus Christ. So the nanosecond you go nationalistic-centric or generational-centric, I think you're missing the main point centered around Jesus Christ. So five things we want to look at. I had six. We may get to the six, but I deleted it this morning because... I think it's unrealistic that <laughs> we'll go that far. Uh, so historical context, literary genre, what is the purpose, interpreting the book, and how does it unfold? So we'll go one at a time. Uh, first, historical context. 
Um, to whom was it written? What was going on in that era? Duvall and Hayes say the first Christians lived in eager expectation of Christ's return. But 60 years after his death, so if Jesus died on the cross about 33-ish A.D., 60 years later, they're saying the book of Revelation is probably written about that time. That puts it around 90, 95 A.D. So there we are, 60 years after his death, it still had not happened. Persecution was increasing, and some were beginning to doubt. So Revelation's letters to the churches and book as a whole were needed to encourage them to stand firm. Well, sometimes we lose heart after five minutes. Think about some of the challenges after maybe six decades of longing and increasing challenges. Well, that quote comes from David and Pat Alexander's Zondervan, Zondervan Handbook to the Bible, and then they go on to say this. Revelation is about this. God is in control. No matter how things may look, Christ, not emperor, is Lord of history. He has the key of destiny itself. He is coming again to execute justice. There is a glorious, wonderful future for every faithful believer, and especially those who lay down their lives for Christ. I believe that's, again, a good encapsulation of the historical context of Revelation. Duvall and Hayes go on to say, when Christians refuse to confess Caesar is Lord, or Deus et Dominus, Domitian is Lord, in worship of the emperor, they were considered disloyal to the state and we're subject to persecution. That's coming to a neighborhood near you. <clears throat> Revelation 1.9, John writes, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance, which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Interpretation, I got sent out of town to a remote island because of my faithfulness to Christ. I'm partaking with you in this tribulation. So it's not only written to persecuted people, it's written from a persecuted brother. At least one person had been martyred in Pergamum. We can read that in the letters to the seven churches in Revelation 2, 12, and 13. So it's written to not only a persecuted, but in some cases, a people who knew martyrs. Their friend had died for the faith. Another historical context, Mark. Revelation speaks to churches both alive and dead, but more of the churches are in danger of compromising with the world than dying from it. Some churches were soon to be snuffed out, uh, Jesus removing lampstands, but some of them are so capitulated to the world that they don't look any different from it. And that's a great danger too. You know, judgment that is final is when God kills somebody or puts a church to death. Judgment that is remedial is happening to people who increasingly look like the world and God is trying to woo them back by his grace. That's a little bit of the historical context. Literary genre, uh, you've heard that word before, genre, that's just type of writing. So what type of literature is the book of Revelation? That's a good question. Uh, there are many types of literature in the Bible. Each of them have their own interpretive uh, rules or playbook. Uh, the primary rule is depend on the Holy Spirit who wrote the book. 
But like last week, BJ was talking to us about Old Testament narrative. And he suggested that in our through-the-year Bible reading plan, instead of only taking sometimes chapter this to chapter that, takes beginning of story to end of story. And those historic narratives are a different type of genre than, say, the Gospels or the Epistles, which are very propositional, like 2 Timothy, you'll hear preached today. Revelation is a different type of animal. What type of literature is it? Well, Deval and Hayes suggest it's three types of literature that kind of overlap or relate. It is a letter, it is a prophecy, and it is, that word I mentioned earlier, apocalyptic. So quick look at each one of those types of genre. First, it's a letter. Deval and Hayes, quoting Richard Bauckham, Theology of the Book of Revelation, say Revelation is really a single letter, one letter, addressed to seven churches. And that starts to make more sense when we have a conception of the geography of where those churches were. So I don't know if you can see the map from there, but you can see where the Yellow Star Island of Patmos, that's where John is writing the letter. And then if you just go in a clockwise circle, all the messages to the seven churches are in that order. So if you first go over here to Ephesus, then Smyrna, then Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, that's actually the order that chapters 2 and 3 write to the churches. So it's one letter, and John, the author, knew it would be passed around these seven churches of Asia Minor, so there's a specific message to each one of them, though applicable to all of them and to us. So it's a letter. Second, it's a prophecy. Revelation 1-3 says that. There's the word prophecy. Hear the words of the prophecy. Again, he said to me, Revelation 22.6, the God of the spirits of the prophets sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And then John writes, And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. So Revelation speaks of itself as a prophetic book. And then there's another in Revelation 22.10, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. So it's a letter, and it's prophetic. Another verse, Revelation 22.18 and 19, twice. Prophecy of this book, book of this prophecy. But it's not only a letter and prophetic, it's apocalyptic. That's a type of writing. The very first verse of the book, Revelation 1.1, the revelation. That's a translation of the word apocalypse or apocalyptic. The apocalypse of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservant. So the term apocalyptic refers to a group of writings that include a divine revelation, usually through a heavenly intermediary, to some well-known figure in which God promises to intervene in human history and to overthrow evil empires and establish his kingdom. On page 315, Duvall and Hayes say, in its abundant use of visual images, Revelation goes beyond any other apocalypse we have in Scripture. That may be overstatement because some of you have read Ezekiel chapter 1 or some of the passages of Daniel. But there's other apocalyptic literature in Scripture. Revelation is the most protracted of those, using these images and symbols and signs and visions. That's the apocalyptic aspect of Revelation. So that's a little bit of history, a little bit of the type of genre. What's the point? 
What's the purpose of the book of Revelation? We've already touched on it briefly, but two slides will help us a little further. First, the purpose of Revelation is tied up with its literary type as a prophetic, apocalyptic letter, especially with, with its images. The images of Revelation create a symbolic world in which the readers may live as they read or hear the book. We all love a good story. BJ was talking about that last week. When we read Revelation, we should not make it me-centric, me-centered, but we should enter into this world of fascinating images, trying to literally see the images of those four living creatures in chapter 4. There's meaning behind that. And then enter into this great battle of uh, the woman and Babylon. The images uh, the authors write transport the reader to see his or her own situation from a heavenly perspective through the visions of the future. Readers are able to see the present through the perspective of the final outcome, God's ultimate victory. Sometimes people just shorthand Revelation. I think, you know, maybe it makes us too lazy to actually read and engage with it, so shorthand is helpful. If it drives us to the book, it's unhelpful. If it kind of vaguely summarizes and we never do any engagement with the book, but it is true. God wins. That's the end of the book. That's why Revelation is in your Bible. So we won't be uncertain about the final outcome of the great battle between God and his enemies. God does win. The final outcome is about God's ultimate victory. We're in a, we are enabled by revelation to view the world as it will really be one day under God's rule. I was telling <clears throat> some other folks this week, a uh, little family devo time, that, uh, that was being led by my father-in-law, and I just jumped in. But uh, Revelation is one of those books of the Bible that makes, you know, how do I say this? Uh, I confess that for me, for much of my Christian life, heaven seemed opaque and translucent over there, and earth seemed really concrete and real and right here. Revelation is one of those books that actually correct that inverted view. Heaven starts to look more concrete and substantial and real. And this world starts to look a little more opaque and translucent. Revelation is actually a good way to help us obey 2 Corinthians to fix our attention on eternal things, not temporal things. So page 316, Duval and Hayes say, by using images, Revelation answers the question, who is Lord? During times of oppression and persecution, the righteous suffer, the wicked seem to prosper. That's what Psalm 73 is all about. This raises the question of whether God is on the throne. And we often find ourselves asking that very same question. Is he still in control? Revelation says that in spite of how things appear, Caesar is not ultimately Lord. Satan is not Lord. Jesus is Lord, and he's coming soon to set things right. So, finally, on the purpose of Revelation, the authors write, Revelation provides that prophetic word from God that people need 
in order to remain faithful in the midst of opposition. It's just another beautiful testimony that the way we are sustained in our faith is through God's written revelation, illumined by His Spirit, in fellowship with His people. Prayer, word, people. That's how God sustains us. And if we don't have uh, those three ingredients, we won't make it far. This book shows us how all, pardon me, this book shows all people how things will turn out in the end. Revelation fills God's people with hope in the present. Compromisers with the world should be shocked out of their idolatry and their spiritual slumber. Revelation would bring them to repentance. Literally, it commands people to repent from such adultery with the world. Page 316, Duvall and Hayes say, as the, quote, last chapter of the story of salvation, Revelation gives people a foretaste of God's ultimate victory and offers them perspective and the encouragement they need to overcome. So we've seen three things, historical context, genre, and purpose. How about interpreting the book? <clears throat> interpreting Revelation, four things I want to lay out for you today. If you've never heard these words, don't worry. Uh, ben somehow makes these slides available in the show notes of the Grow podcast. I just said sentences that I don't quite fully understand. Um, so don't worry. If you're scratching some of this down and I go too fast, you can somehow click a button and see these things. Um, if you've never heard these words, don't freak out. Okay? That's why we're here. We're doing growth in community. Some of you are very well acquainted with these words and sometimes crotchety about how sure you are that you're right. Okay? Um, so here we go. Four main grids that people use to understand the book of Revelation. Let me just say this. If you don't know you're using one of them, surprise, 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 there's nothing new under the sun, you are using one of them. There's not a new one that you're just making up that nobody's ever thought about. Okay, here we go. A preterist view. This is oversimplification, but for the purposes of today, a preterist understanding of Revelation would say, this is quoting Duvall and Hayes, many of the events of Revelation are seen as having been fulfilled in the first century. Preterists would probably even argue with what I said about the date of Revelation. They might date it pre-temple destruction, pre-70 AD, or everything having been fulfilled by that time. That's a, main, a major interpretation of the book of Revelation. History past Things John's audience would have said, oh yeah, that happened then, that happened then, that happened then, or soon after their generation. Okay, another main grid, historicist. This view views Revelation as a map or outline of what has happened or will happen throughout church history from the first century until the return of Christ. So some have taken the major empires of world history and just plug them in to Revelation's story. Oh, that's uh, Greece, that's Rome, that's so forth. And they view it as literally a sequential chronology of human history from the resurrection to the return of Christ. That would be the historicist interpretation. The futurist, pretty self-explanatory, views most of the book of Revelation related to future events immediately preceding 
the end of history. Uh, this would be a pretty popular view in our day and actually popularized in recent history. Last uh, 150 years, uh, there are some millennial views related to this interpretation of Revelation, and um, that's one way many people read it. All events, primarily all, primarily the events of Revelation, are yet to happen. So it'd be almost the polar opposite of the preterist view. And then what Duvall and Hayes describe as the idealist view does not understand Revelation in terms of any particular reference to time, but rather relates it to the ongoing, typo, to the ongoing struggle between good and evil. That view would fit with a, um, an ability to, in, to apply all of the events of Revelation to every period of human history. Okay? So, there are four ways that Revelation is primarily interpreted. There's nuances to each one of these, but suffice it to say, you read Revelation through one of those. There's not like a seventh or tenth or fifteenth option. Okay, so as we're interpreting Revelation, there are nine things that Duvall and Hayes, I've tweaked them, encourage us to do. I'm going to go through these quickly so I can get to the last slide that has all of them. Read it with humility. Uh, humility is dependence on God. Uh, praying people are humble people. Praying churches are humble churches. You could say the inverse. No prayer, no humility. That's true of individuals. It's true of churches. So read it prayerfully with humility. Lord, help me. I want to understand what you're saying. Look for what John's original audience would have grasped. Now, if you see helicopters and F-18 planes in Revelation, it's possible that the church at Pergamum may not have been able to conceive of that. So think, what, what would they have understood? Don't try to discover a chronological map for future events. Um, if you're able to, to line out specific dates and times of things yet to be, you actually have more foresight than Jesus, who said he didn't even know some of those things. Revelation is to be taken seriously, but not always literally. Uh, that gets some of us Bible-believing people. I'm one of them. Inerrant, inspired, infallible. God's written word is those things. Absolutely our bedrock. But Paul even says in places like Galatians, I'm speaking metaphorically about two mountains. So if you interpret it literally, you're actually going against what Paul put in the sentence. Similarly with Revelation, some of it is to be taken very literally. Maybe not all of it. That's part of the nature of apocalyptic writing. Pay attention when John identifies an image. Sometimes he tells us what this or that image represents. Look at the Old Testament historical context when interpreting Images and symbols. One of the great advantages of having a Bible today is how many of our translations have notations in the verses. Little um, footnotes on alternate translations. So you're reading a verse, and there's a little superscript. One, two, three. That tells you an alternate translation. There's also alphabetized Referencing in many of your Bibles, learn to look at those. A, 
B, C. So verse 12, you're reading along, little superscript A. Keep reading, little superscript B. Well, go find what that refers to because that is an Old Testament uh, or maybe New Testament cross-reference that John was pulling from when he wrote that sentence. So look at those things, and the Old Testament background will help tremendously. And finally, focus on the main idea without pressing all the details. I don't know what the seventh horn on the beast meant. You probably don't either. But if you're trying to just press into those details, you may miss the big picture of God winning the war with evil. All right, lastly, how does Revelation unfold? I'm just going to click through quickly so you can see. This is just an outline of the book of Revelation. Uh, nine parts, but if you take a quick look, those introductory chapters are pretty straightforward. This is the letters to the seven churches. And then vision of the Lamb. And then you see three cycles, seven seals, seven trumpets, and then down here, seven bowls. Concluding with God's final judgment on Babylon. She's gone. God and his people, victorious forever. And those concluding remarks of Christ's uh, glorious final kingdom. Duvall and Hayes say on page 329, the purpose of Revelation is to show us through picturesque language that Jesus, rather than Caesar, is Lord. If we can see Christ the King sitting on the throne, then we'll go a long way in helping us understand Revelation. Well, we don't have time for interaction today. There was a, another part of this I was going to try uh, to get to that I deleted this morning because I knew we'd be at 945 uh, or after now. But I do want to remind you, there are three copies of this. Don't let them remain here. If you don't have one, come take it. Uh, I encourage you to use it. West Van Fleet did us a tremendous service putting that study together. Uh, when did we go through this, those who were around GC? When? 17, 18, somewhere like that? Three years ago? Okay, that math doesn't work with that math, but it was somewhere in that general period of our history as a church. We would love for you to take that. There are three copies uh, we're going to pray together. If you're one of the people that has any part in today's service, especially baptism and membership, just join me right here after I pray, and you'll have about 14 minutes, the rest of you, before the service begins. Spread the word about no nursery till post-baptism. Father, thank you for the book of Revelation, and uh, just thank you for Revelation 22, 3 and 4. No sorrow, no mourning, no tears. Thank you uh, that you'll reign not only as you have from eternity, but with your people, a kingdom of priests. And you yourself are the temple. You are the light. And Revelation 22.3, we will see your face. We look forward to that day. Use Revelation to sustain us in the challenges of our generation to live faithfully for Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.